Well, today I would like to talk to you about politics, morality, and health care. If you're new to Omaha Bible Church, I think people laughed and applauded. Perhaps you didn't, because that's just not the kind of thing we talk about around here. Um, and most people know I'm probably being facetious if I say we're going to talk about politics, morality, and health care. In a sense, we're really not going to, um, but in a sense, we are. We're going to talk about those things that we see around us, especially right now, that frustrate us, that bother us, um, where right is called wrong and wrong is called right and there's all kinds of deception and lies and your candidate isn't one of the candidates and all of these kinds of things that frustrate us. Uh, I mentioned health care because that makes us upset because it costs too much and we can't afford it. And, but it could even be bigger. This really could include everything. Everything that brings you heartache, uh, everything that brings you frustration, not just health care, your own health, right? Um, suffering, persecution, deception, injustice, all these things that make us just want to go, ah, it's frustrating. And I want to talk about them from a certain perspective, and that perspective would be a Christian perspective where we learn in the Bible that we as Christians are to view ourselves as aliens, not as in Alien the movie, um, not as in from a different planet uh, because we've come here in Star Trek mode or Star Wars mode or something like that, but aliens as in we don't belong here. This is not our ultimate home. This is not, our, our, this is not heaven, in other words. This is not the New Jerusalem, um, nor Jerusalem. Uh, ultimately, this is not our home. Aliens in that sense, Okay. And the Bible says that Christians are strangers and aliens in this world. The Bible says that Christians are exiles in this world. Okay? This is not heaven on earth. We're waiting for something else, and that we need to really understand that. Otherwise, we're going to be so frustrated it's not even funny, right? When things aren't going the way we want them to go. So it tempers things. Or, on the other side of things, when things are really going our way, and things are awesome, and this has happened for, with Christians historically, when, when it's our, our person in the office and our kind of ruler and our kind of morality and things really are going our way and we're wealthy and we're healthy, that's a problem too. We also, during those times, need to know we're strangers and aliens, we're exiles. Because that good stuff that we really love isn't going to last. And so Christians have, have struggled with this. We start thinking this is heaven on earth. I mean, America was referred to as the new Jerusalem, by the way. We've struggled with this before. Or we think this is horrific, God is not in control, and this is as good as it gets. First Peter is the book we're going to be in this morning. And basically what I did was I read through First Peter looking at this overarching theme and I'm going to try to boil it down into probably this Sunday and perhaps next Sunday. But what do we need to know? What do we need to know about our status? What do we need to know about being strangers and aliens or exiles so that we can cope with the downs and we can cope with the ups and succeed, uh, honor Christ, love our neighbor, think rightly? What do we need to know? So six things that you need to know about being an alien. 
okay, about being a stranger or about being an exile so that we can live Christ-honoring, enjoyable lives. I think a good subtitle for 1 Peter would be, so 1 Peter, it's a letter written by the Apostle Peter, subtitle, Your Worst Life Now. Okay? Because no matter how awesome it is, it's still your worst life. Because what is to come is better. Or how terrible it gets, it's going to get better. This is as bad as it gets. And it just helps us. Helps us to, to think clearly, to, to weigh things as they ought to be weighed. And so it is with a pastoral heart I want to say, this is for my soul to help me in 21st century America and to help you as well. Okay? Super important that we think in these terms. So this morning, perhaps we'll get done, perhaps we'll finish next week, and then the next week, and this is especially for those of you who are new to Omaha Bible Church, I just met some of you this morning, um, kind of our bread and butter, our, our normal practice um, would be going through a book of the Bible, uh, not like this, but a little bit slower, um, chapter by chapter. We'll start uh, a study on the life and ministry of Jesus uh, according to the fourth gospel account, which would be the gospel according to John. So that starts not next Sunday, but the next and uh, we'll settle in a little bit. But for today, um, how to live your worst life now, okay? Uh, <laughs> number one, the first thing you need to know to succeed as a Christian exile. Number one, know that you are one. Know that you are one. You've got to start by knowing you're an exile. You have to start by knowing you're an alien. And we lose sight of that. This starts to feel a lot like it's our lasting home. Like this is it. We've got to know that the Bible teaches that this, this is not it. We are exiles. We are strangers. And just a sampling of 1 Peter shows us this. So look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, if you will, with me, where it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect, chosen, often used for those who are Christians, elect exiles, Christian exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Uh, and the idea is Christians who've been persecuted, Christians who've therefore been scattered to different regions, they're not where they want to be, is the idea. And they're having hardship, difficulty, exiles. Christians are referred to as exiles. How about dropping down to verse 17? And again, we're not getting into the details per se. I just want you to see the exile theme. Verse 17, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Again, just wanting you to see uh, it's the time of your exile. How about chapter 2, verse 11? Uh, you'll see it again. In chapter 2, 11, it says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, the ESV says, uh, I originally learned it uh, as it's translated from the Greek text a different way in some of your English Bibles, strangers and aliens. That's why I, I, my default mode is that. But the idea is sojourners, exiles, strangers, aliens, to abstain from passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. We all understand the concept, as long as we stop and think about it. Um, when you're in another place, you're not in your home. When you're in another country, uh, you don't belong there. You're there visiting. Um, some of you are legal aliens. 
So this is not your home country, but you're here uh, and you're here visiting, maybe even long term. Uh, perhaps you're an illegal alien. You're welcome at Omaha Bible Church. Uh, we'll talk about obeying the government in a different sermon. Um, but we, we use this kind of terminology even in our day, right? Um, it's not where I belong. It's where I am. Maybe I temporarily belong here. But, but we, we get the idea. But what we probably don't get, unless we understand the Old Testament to a degree, and some of you do, some of you don't, Peter is heavily leaning on, borrowing from this Old Testament image, okay? This theme. Because in the Old Testament, you have the nation of Israel, okay? The Jews, God's elect nation, and they know all too well what it means to be exiled, to be kicked out of Israel, to not be in Jerusalem. Uh, for example, under Babylonian captivity. Okay? So when the Jews were forcibly taken and taken to Babylon, it's not their home. Israel's their home. Jerusalem is where they want to be. Jerusalem is where the temple is. It's where you go to formally worship God. It's not where they want to be. It's where there's paganism amok. Okay, all kinds of false gods, all kinds of customs that are contrary to their Jewish customs, all kinds of immorality that doesn't fit with what the Bible teaches them. Okay, they, they knew all about being strangers and aliens. They knew all about being exiled in a foreign land, longing to go back to Jerusalem. Okay? So if we keep that in mind, it helps us. Um, we're longing as Christians with the return of Christ, for, for heaven, uh, if you prefer, for the new Jerusalem, okay, for the ultimate everlasting kingdom, we're waiting for that, because right now we're exiled, we're strangers, we're aliens. He's borrowing that image. It's a fascinating image. It's a very Old Testament-y, Testament-y kind of book. Well, maybe, maybe look at a little bit more with, with me, if you would, just to get this flavor. Uh, two, not, how about chapter 2, verse 9? In 2, 9 it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now, with fear and trepidation, I want to say, none of those things are true. In one sense, okay? Because... A chosen race, no, the Christian church is made up of all different races, not like Jews in the Old Testament, certain race. Uh, A royal priesthood, no, we don't have a priesthood anymore because Jesus is the ultimate high priest. Hasn't Peter read Hebrews or at least learned the theology of Hebrews? Jesus is the ultimate high priest. We don't need a priesthood anymore, but Peter uses it later on in the book. We won't go there because as we obey God and honor him with our lives, we're offering spiritual sacrifices. It's a different kind of priesthood. A holy nation? That's so not true. Because the church, in light of what Jesus says, unlike, different from the Old Testament, it's a holy nation, Israel. According to Jesus in the Great Commission, the church is made up of all nations. Peter's using the verbiage, though, so we get the idea of being a stranger and an alien, being exiled, okay? You uniquely belong to God, okay? And there's some similarity between you church believers and the Old Testament. It's not exactly the same. 
But you're part of the people of God and you can identify with not being in your homeland if you can understand something about what they struggled with in the Old Testament. It's a fascinating, fascinating way to say things. Maybe we should keep reading just for a moment or two in verses 9 and 10. A people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Again, he's using this kind of Old Testament terminology and he's applying it so that we can understand better what it's like. Okay? We're not longing ourselves to go back to Israel, our homeland. But we, we, we can get it. We can understand. We, we are longing for a new Jerusalem whose maker and builder is God. So when you read First Peter, just think Old Testament-ish to make things up. You go, huh. You know what else is interesting? You could read the Old Testament now and read the exile accounts. And read them for the real history that they are. But you can also maybe learn a thing or two about the way you live your life now. You know, classic example would be Daniel. No compromise, right? And yet, tried to make the most of it and had some pretty significant impact and influence. But Daniel was a stranger and an alien. Daniel was an exile. He wanted to go back to, or he wanted to go to, Jeremiah is filled with this stuff as well. Okay, I'm way off notes. Know that you're in ex exile, okay? Know that you're an alien. Know that you don't ultimately belong. There's something better. There's something greater. There's a reason why you go, inside or outside. There's a reason why this doesn't look like heaven on earth. There's a reason why you don't find a perfect candidate, Okay? There's a reason why you're frustrated with all sorts of things in life. Because this is not the new Jerusalem. And this is not your ultimate home. If we can just get that now and then, we'll be way, way ahead. Let's close in prayer. No, let's not. This is why bad things happen. Okay, one more passage. I'm sorry. I guess we do have two weeks. How about... How about how about chapter 4, verse 12? So when you're not at home and there's cultural, religious, moral, social things that rub you the wrong way, don't be surprised. Daniel in Babylon... There's all kinds of stuff that he didn't like, right? But he knew he was an exile. You need to remember you're in exile. Doesn't mean you should like those things. First Peter chapter four verse twelve is helpful here. It shouldn't surprise us, beloved. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange. For my mind, even in reading in English, you're a stranger. So don't think it's strange when strange things happen to you because you're a stranger. Though something strange, as though something strange were happening to you. It's kind of like, hello, you know? Oh, why doesn't this feel like heaven on earth? It's so strange to me. <laughs> yeah, it shouldn't seem strange because it's not heaven on earth. So this is super basic, 
But I really need to be reminded of this. And when you overhear other Christians talking, you know they really need to be reminded of this. It shouldn't seem strange to us when bad things happen on a broken planet. It's not strange. It's par for the course. Don't be surprised. Okay, let's move on. Let's go to a second. To succeed as a Christian exile, you need to, number two, know that God has solved your biggest problem. You've got to know that God has solved your biggest problem. If you're a Christian, and a Christian is someone who's trusting in Christ to reconcile them to God, not trusting in themselves, not trusting in Omaha Bible Church or parents or grandparents or tradition or something. If you're trusting in Christ, you're depending upon Christ to reconcile you to God. That's what a Christian is, okay? There's more to it, but that's the idea. If you're a Christian, your biggest problem has been solved, okay? We all have problems now. Hello, my name is Pat, right? You're like, hello, Pat. We all have problems now. Some of them are pretty trivial and not a big deal, but some of them are major, and it's just a matter of time before your problems are major, okay? But your biggest problem, if you're in Christ, united to Him by faith, has been solved. And 1 Peter helps us to get perspective, okay? I don't like what I'm experiencing now, whether it be with sickness or politics or relationships. You've got to let those things be put into perspective. The biggest issue has been taken away, and so you you can do it. Okay, let's go ahead and see. This is a strong emphasis in this book. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and following. We read it for scripture reading. Sets the tone for all of it. I need you to remind me of this when things are not going my way. Or maybe when things are really going my way, I need you to remind me of this, lest I think this is it. There's something far better. How about this? it's, It's... Covered in praise and greatness. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. He's done this. New life. We were spiritually dead and He has caused us to be born again. So now we're a new creation, right? So this is, this is, this is the best thing ever. Because your biggest problem was you were spiritually dead and hostile to God and He was hostile against you. So then keep going to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What makes it a living hope? We talked about this last week when we talked about hope. What makes it a living hope? Your hope, your confidence regarding the future. That's what hope is. Your hope is a living hope. Well, it tells us why it's a living hope because it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So if Jesus hadn't, hadn't been raised from the dead, your hope is a dead hope. You're an idiot. It's a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead because he's bodily raised. Your confidence about the future is a smart confidence. It's a living hope. It's a real hope. And that puts everything in perspective because as you're having your worst life now, You're waiting, you're expecting this living hope because you know you have empty tomb. And so it puts it all in perspective. It's it's fantastic. 
verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable. See, it's better than anything you could have now. Undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. See, exile can't mess it up. Can't, can't, can't touch it, right? It, it can't be any better than that. Verse 5, who by God's power, this is God's power, God Almighty, are being guarded through faith, context would be faith in Jesus, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, not in the here and now, revealed in the last time. How about verse 6, worth highlighting, in this you rejoice. Temperate, right? Right? Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. See, it's perspective. Maybe reading on just a little bit, down in verse 8 toward the latter part. Um, oh, how about just verse 9, we're, we're, for sake of time, obtaining the outcome of your faith, faith in Christ, the salvation of your souls. Ultimate. This is what God has done. In every way necessary, God has dealt with your biggest problem. By the way, your biggest problem is God. Because he's just, he's righteous, and he gives people what they deserve, and we've all violated his commandments. God has solved the problem. And it will be an eternal solution. And so in the here and now, as life is awesome some days and terrible other days, what allows you to keep perspective is living hope, secure, safe, protected irreversible. It allows you to be steady, even as an alien. It's extraordinary. So when things are terrible, remember this. When things are wonderful, remember this. It's like the song in the, the old hymn, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Well, that's taking good theology of what Jesus did. He's resurrected. He didn't just die resurrected for everyone who would believe so we could be resurrected because he lives I can face tomorrow that's right I think that's the same song that says you ask me how I know he lives he lives within my heart and I hate that <laughs> even a stop clock is right twice a day uh, <laughs> you ask me how I know he lives a lot of weird things happen in my heart, okay? I know he lives because historically there's an empty tomb. Eyewitnesses historically seeing him raised from the dead. Because he lives, in history he lives, objectively he lives, you can face tomorrow. Hallelujah. You know, it's like, yeah! Let's move on. Number three. To succeed as a Christian exile, you need to, number three, know that salvation, sorry for a long one, know that salvation will ultimately be experienced in the future. Know that salvation in its, in its ultimacy, in its ultimate sense, isn't in the here and now, it's in the future.
now exiled, now trials, now difficulties. Jesus said, in this life you'll have trouble. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Salvation in its ultimate sense isn't now. It's later. But you've got to get that, right? I mean, how many times are we, or others we know, just so frustrated and fretting, and, and if God loves me and if God cares and, and He did all these things for me, then why is my life the way it is? We could all use a good dose of stranger alien theology. A good dose of what the Bible says about the here and now versus what the Bible says about the future. How about chapter 1 again? Where we learned about that resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead in verse 3, being born again, all of that stuff relates to the now. But how about at the end of verse 4? Kept in heaven for you. So, all of this, it's yours in Christ if you're a believer. It is a current possession that there's something that's still yet to be experienced and it's kept in heaven. It's not kept here. It's, it's not yet experienced. How about verse 5? By God's power are being guarded through faith for a, how about this, salvation ready to be revealed. It's not revealed. It's ready to be revealed in the last time. So there's something that's still to come. Verse 6 goes on to say, skipping the first few words, now for a little while, that's the here and now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. The now for a little while, perspective-wise, is trials. We're waiting for ultimate salvation to be experienced. And when does that happen? Well, verse 7 at the end tells us, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 8 goes on to even say, though now you don't see him. There, there's to be this expectancy. Because when Christ returns in his full glory, we will be, to use theological terms, we will be glorified. We'll see him and be made like him. We'll have our resurrected bodies. No more struggling, no more difficulty, no more trials. What has been kept in heaven will be experienced by us. There's, there's a future aspect. How about dropping down to verse 13? Down in verse 13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be, notice future aspect, be, will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation of Jesus Christ, the return of Christ. Be, be forward-looking, anticipating. Chapter 4, verse 13, similar thing. 4.13, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. That is just a ludicrous statement. If there's no second coming, if there's no glorification, rejoice? Did you share Christ's sufferings? That's in the here and now. No, it's not ludicrous. Keep going. That you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Yeah, it keeps things in perspective. And it's not hope and hope. It's a living hope. Because he's really, truly, bodily been resurrected, so it's a living hope. Suffering now, glory later. I mean, how complicated is that? I don't want it to be true, because I want glory now, glory later. 
But it's not complicated. Suffering now, glory later. And even when we have some glory now, we know it's eventually going to end up with suffering. So suffering now, ultimately, glory later. Which allows us during the suffering now to rejoice. Suffering now, glory later. Glory now religion is antichrist religion. Glory now religion is not Christian. You read First Peter and it's always leading us toward when he returns, then it will be your best life. When he returns, then you will be healthy and wealthy because you'll have his riches, the right kind of wealth. Glory now religion is from Antichrist. Remember when Jesus came and he was offered glory now without suffering. Get thee behind me, Satan. So I'm being very deliberate when I say it's Antichrist religion. Jesus came and suffered and we're his followers and they're suffering for us. And yet he was raised for us. Glory, glorification, there's glory for us. Exiled now. But when Christ returns, we'll be freed. Think about that. If we're under Babylonian captivity, which we're not, but that's the image, that's the idea. We're under Babylonian captivity. We're waiting, waiting, waiting for our victorious, powerful, rescuing Savior King to come and free us. And now, and take us home. And then we won't be exiled anymore. We won't be strangers and aliens. We're going to be where we're supposed to be. We've got to wait for that. We don't do it ourselves. Lots more passages regarding this. How about, just go, if you would, to chapter 5, just to see a sampling of this. So in chapter 5, verse 1, it's addressing the leaders in the church, but toward the end there it says... Um, of chapter 5, verse 1, a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. See, it's still future. How about chapter 5, verse 4? When the chief shepherd appears, that would be Jesus, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. But we're waiting for that. Verse 6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And the proper time in context would be his return, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. How about verse 10? And after you've suffered a little while, might seem like a long time, but in comparison it's a little while, the grace, the, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, that's a promise we can embrace now, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. For those of you who like theology speak, um, it's a problem when our view of the end, it's called eschatology, the study of the end, when our eschatology is what is referred to as, it's over-realized. You take the end, which is tied to the return of Jesus to earth, and you make it in the here and now. It's not a new problem. Christians have struggled with this for a long time. Maybe even these Christians were struggling with it. And so we have First Peter. 
The promises for the for you as a believer are to be embraced in the here and now, and it'll allow you to rejoice. And they're not fantasy, they're real, based upon the real resurrection of Jesus and his atoning death and all that he accomplished. But to fully step into it happens when he returns. Now, maybe an under-realized eschatology, now that we're really off base, would be somehow that you, you can never have confidence, you can never have assurance. These promises that are made can't really be embraced by you in the here and now. We don't really know what the future holds. Will he or won't he? No, that's, that's not helpful. Promise for you here and now to the point where you can have assurance but there's something yet to come. And if you think what's to come is in the here and now, you got gypped, right? By the way, over-realized eschatology would be like in the charismatic movement, the health, wealth, and prosperity. In, in, in a lot of ways, they're right. They're absolutely right. Healthy, wealthy, wise, no more sick. No more suffering. No more conflicts. Absolutely. But, but they're not right because actually it's fake. Because supposedly you're healed and then you get sick and die. That's not what's promised in the resurrection of Jesus. Okay? It, it, it's forever lasting, sure. Not, you know, we somehow had some kind of fake thing happen. No, it's lasting. It's real. Forever and ever and ever. It's a cheap knockoff. But please don't think that there isn't a grand, great, awesome, real, objective promise from Jesus for you if you're trusting in Him. Because there is. Resurrection. New life. We probably shouldn't venture too far into this, but if you, if you even think about the Israelites, Jews in Babylon. I mean, how weird would it be and how crazy would it be for them to be saying, we're in Israel, we're in Israel, we're in Israel. We're in Jerusalem, we're in Jerusalem, we're in Jerusalem. I don't care what you tell me. I just have positive thoughts, right? Name it and claim it, right? That Babylonian statue over there to all these weird gods that we're not supposed to believe in, you know what? That's the temple, What? You're crazy. And not only that, you're, you're, you're treading on dangerous ground. Because before you know it, that's what it's going to be in your mind, and you're going to end up worshiping those pagan gods. You're an exile. This is not Jerusalem. This is Babylon. Don't rebrand it. How about this? Don't try to make it into Jerusalem. It isn't. And now that I'm way off target to exhort you, we're not going to make our Babylon the new Jerusalem until Jesus returns. And when we start thinking we can, we have a Jesus complex. Okay? It's a problem. We can't do that. We need Him to do that. How are we doing? 
we probably should stop. Next time, just so you know what's going to happen, we are going to talk about how our lives in the here and now really do matter. Okay? And we're going to get it right in First Peter. In First Peter, we are called again and again and again to act certain ways. The Christians who are exiled in our Babylon, if you will, are supposed to live like Christians. Okay, so it's not overreact, you know what, I'm so heavenly minded, I'm no earthly good. No, it's going to be, I'm so heavenly minded that I actually am earthly good. And that we have responsibilities, there are things we're supposed to do. We'll also talk about what our message is. What is our message as strangers, strangers and aliens? Our message is going to be the gospel. Okay, that's what our message is. Our, our message is not trying to get Babylon to look more and more like Jerusalem without Jesus. Our message is going to be people need Jesus so they have the Spirit of God and so they can actually live some good in the here and now. Okay, We're going to talk about those kinds of things. We're also going to talk about how even though this might be our Babylon, planet Earth, and those who rule over our Babylon um, are not perfect. To whatever degree, that God is sovereign and in charge. And He's taking history somewhere. And ultimately, it's not against us. It's ultimately for us even if he's using sinful people to orchestrate his ultimate purposes. And so we can trust him. Okay? I want you to be encouraged as Christians. Okay? I'm not asking you to see wrong and call it right. Or to see right and call it wrong. I'm not asking you to do that. They're not being asked to do that in First Peter. But I want you to be encouraged because you're knowing who you really are as a Christian, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning and thank you for this letter called First Peter. Thank you for believers who've gone before us that we can learn from as we go about our lives this week, as we maybe have the best week ever or perhaps the worst week ever for whatever reasons. Please allow us to have perspective. And as we try to do our best in the here and now, may we also have an upward focus looking to Christ's return when He and He alone will be the ultimate governor, so to speak, of the entire creation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.